0: So, I love the beach in the summer, right? The beach in the summer is so much fun. I'm from North Jersey. I love New Jersey too. The only thing I don't like about Jersey is the beach, right? I don't like it having to pay to go to the beach and then being crammed up against someone who smells like bad cologne. Like, I just don't want to go to the Jersey Shore. So, when my family and I go to the beach, we go to the Outer Banks down in North Carolina, and you can spread out, right? The next family's like 25 yards away from me that way, next family 25 yards, and you just kind of relax and you can enjoy sun and surf. Love the beach and Outer Banks. And I also love to people watch. Do you people watch? You know, people watching is like, I'm a professional. It's like I have a varsity letter and for people watching, I love watching people because people are dumb. Right? Like, I mean, the things that people do, the people, the things that people say, the things that people wear, there's a lot of dumb people out there. And when I get a chance to be on the beach, enjoy some sun and surf and look at people, I mean, that's a good time for me. I love it. So, a couple of years ago, I'm at the beach in the Outer Banks. I'm reading a book, and I'm looking at people. I'm reading a book and looking at people. And I notice this family down the way from me a little bit. They're a little bit down, and they're kind of pretty put together, family pretty put together. They're enjoying family, time and laughing, messing around, really interesting family. And yet there's this one guy in the family that just doesn't fit. You know what I'm talking about? He, he just doesn't fit the scene. He, he doesn't look like them. He's not acting like them. He's a little bit different, right? And they're all go play volleyball, and, most of the family, like, they're bumping, setting, spiking, lots of fun, and doing great. And then this one guy, I mean, like, he's all feet. He can't do anything with a volleyball. It's, he's crazy bad. And I'm looking at this, I'm trying to figure out this guy, how he fits in the family, and I do something maybe you do too, I, I go to my wife, like, hey, check out this family, like, I mean, I'm not sure if I'm supposed to do that, but I do it. I'm a professional. And I'm like, like, look at this family. Like, does something seem off to you? And she's looking, and she's looking, and she's looking, and she goes, what gives with the awkward guy? I'm like, I know, right? There's this awkward guy there. And as what I do, I kind of, throughout the week, I start to talk to people and I talk. I kind of get to know this little family. And I ask at some point, like, hey, how do you connect to the family? He's like, I'm the cousin. And I'm like, the awkward cousin? I didn't say that out loud. But from that moment on, my wife and I, when we look at circles of people, we, we notice there's always an awkward cousin. Do you know what I mean? There's like always in a group of people someone who's awkward that stands out. It might be in your family, it might be in your social group, it might be at work, or they're just different. Maybe they're different because everybody in this group likes music and can play music, but the one person can't. Maybe they they stand out, they're a little bit awkward because everybody is loud and this person is quiet. I mean, an awkward cousin could be someone who's literally in your family, but it could be just a person or someone that you're just like, man, they're just different. Maybe it's the family meal when everybody's Democrats in your family and there's one Republican. How awkward is that Thanksgiving dinner, right? It could be awkward that way. We all have awkward family situations, awkward circles of friends. Can you think of your awkward cousin right now? You know what I'm talking about? And and here's the deal. If you can't, it's probably because you are the awkward cousin, right? I mean… I'm just being honest, and and here's the deal with that, too. Like, all of us, at some form or fashion, some point or another, we are the awkward cousin. We're the one that's different. We're the one that stands out. We're the one that's a little weird. All of us have been there. And so if this is true, we all have, in our circle of friends, an awkward cousin. And if we have been or are the awkward cousin, how do we deal with that? How do we live in that discomfort? what do we do? Thanks so much for asking. Here's the deal. We're going to start a sermon series called Awkward Cousins because all of us have situations like this where we're trying to figure out how do we love when it's uncomfortable. Jesus, before he went to heaven, he said this about his disciples. He says, everyone will know that you are my disciple. You're one of my followers if you love one another not based on how much truth you have, not how many Bible verses you know. The world will know, everyone will know, you're a follower of Jesus by your love. And that's really hard because many of us are in awkward situations where we go, how do I love in this situation and circumstances? So we're gonna lean into that over the next number of weeks together, different Bible passages and practical applications of how do we love when it's uncomfortable. Today, 1 Corinthians 13. So if you have your Bible, turn it on. Pull it out. Super glad you're joining us online here on campus or in the chapel. Glad you're here. And we're rolling through 1 Corinthians chapter 13 today and talking about what it looks like to love family, our biological family, but also the church family. How do we love other Christians? that are awkward or when it's uncomfortable. So you're turning to 1 Corinthians 13. Before you get there and as you're getting there, just check this out a minute. All of us have a definition of love. Like if we're gonna answer this question, all of us would say love is, and you'd put something in there, right? You'd say to me, love is fun. I don't know what words you would use. To me, love is cool. Love is a feeling. Not sure what you'd say love is but you'd also say love is not. You'd have something in your mind where you'd go, this is love and this is not love. You might say love is fun, but love is not permanent. I don't know what your definition is of how you think about love, but all of us have thoughts, feelings, perspective about love. And what I want you to do is I want you to hold that in your mind for a moment, This is what I think love is and what love is not. And now we're going to turn to the Bible because what we do as followers of Christ is we take what we think about something and then we open up the Bible and look at what God says love is. So that's where we are, 1 Corinthians 13. Let's see what God, how God defines what love is and what love isn't. The words in 1 Corinthians 13, just warning here, oftentimes you'll hear it at a wedding ceremony, but these aren't wedding words. Actually, this is actually phrases, words, the definition of love that it's meant for the church family. It doesn't mean that it's not for marriages or husband and wife. It just has a broader context. Paul, the author of these words, is writing to a group of Christ followers in the city of Corinth. I've never been to Corinth. Maybe you have. I don't know. But here's what you should know about Corinth. Corinth is like New York City, Las Vegas, and Los Angeles crammed into one town right? It's the center of politics. It's the center of academics. It's the center of sexuality. It's the center of entertainment. It's the center of fun. It's all crammed together into this one city called Corinth. And the people that live there are on the cutting edge of everything in society. It's like New York, Los Angeles, Las Vegas, all crammed into one. And when you live there, you're like, yeah, I'm there. I'm arrived. A group of people in that town come to know Jesus Christ And their lives are beginning to change as followers of Jesus Christ. And the greatest way we can change and become like Jesus is about love. It's how we love. And so that's what Paul is doing in 1 Corinthians 13.1. He's teaching them about love and how love begins to transform us and how we look different as followers of Christ. He starts out 1 Corinthians 13.1. He says, If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I am a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. He's like, there's no gifts of language, no eloquence of speech, no ability to write that outmatches love. Everything I say, I write. If it doesn't have love as its center, it's nothing. He says in verse 2, And if I have a gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, if I have faith that can move mountains but do not have love, I am nothing. So he's like, you could be smart, you can know the Bible, you can have the gift of wisdom, the gift of prophecy, gift of faith, but if you don't love, you are nothing. Verse 3, If I give all I possess to the poor and I give over my body to hardship, that I may boast but do not have love, I am gain nothing. You could give all your money away, be the most generous, sacrificial person ever, but if you don't have love, your reward is nothing. He says in these first three verses, without love, I'm just noise. doesn't matter how eloquent of speech, how smart I am, I'm just noise. Without love, I am nothing. Without love, I have nothing. Love is more important than words we speak. It's more important than spiritual gifts. It's more important than sacrifice and generosity. As followers of Christ, this love must be pretty important. And now Paul slows down in verse 4, and he says, Now let me tell you what this love is and what it is not. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects. Love always trusts. Love always hopes. Love always perseveres. Love never fails. Let's slow down even more. Love is patient. Love is kind when everything inside of you wants to go fast, get something done. Everything inside you is irritated. Love is patient and kind. It does not envy when someone else's situation is better. It doesn't envy success. It doesn't put oneself on a pedestal. It doesn't think, I'm better than you, smarter than you, superior to you. Love doesn't say, I'm superior, better. I don't boast. It is not proud. It is not dishonorable. Love doesn't discredit someone who's different, who thinks different, acts different. Love seeks to put other people first and put ourselves second. He says, love is not easily angered. I love this because he doesn't say love never angers. You can love and be angry. That's not what he's saying. He says it is not easily angered, which means you're not short-fused or irritable, on the edge, dramatic. You're not touchy. Love doesn't keep a record of wrongs, a scorecard. Love doesn't pull out a scorecard and and mark all down, all the ways you've hurt me, all the ways you've messed up, all the ways you've been unkind. Oftentimes what we do is we write the things down that people have done against us, kind of like we write down our debts if someone owes us money. We'd write that down because we have to make sure you pay us back. And the only way our relationship will be square, will be good, will be healthy, is if you pay me back. And when I keep a record of wrongs of all the ways you've hurt me, all the ways you've failed me, I expect payback. And if I don't get it, I am vengeful. Love keeps no record of wrongs. It does not delight in evil, but rejoices in the truth. Paul's way of saying love doesn't mean you're a doormat. It doesn't mean you get walked on. It means you seek what is true and right. And the truth is what sets people free. And when you speak the truth in love, that doesn't enable sin or enable evil at all. Love always seeks to protect others, it covers a multitude of sins and protects people from harm and shame. Love always trusts, and always hopes it always perseveres. Love refuses to accept your failure, your shortcoming, your awkward, as your final state. Love says, no, the God of the universe is bigger than your mistake, bigger than that label, bigger than that fault, bigger bigger than that issue, that awkward, that uncomfortability, and because the God of the universe has worked in my life, I always trust and hope and persevere And in all these ways, love never fails. It endures through whatever awkward, whatever uncomfortable, whatever difficult, whatever disagreement. Paul says, this is what love is. And and for you and me, we have our definition, right? We say love is this, and love is not that. And in our minds, we think we know what love is, and we use that as our standard. But what does God say? God says, this is love. He says, love is patient. It's kind. It's truthful. Love is protective. It's trustworthy. Love is hopeful. It's long suffering. Do you know what long suffering means? Suffering long. Right? It means there's gonna be times that there's gonna be suffering and it's gonna be long. It's enduring all the ups and downs of life. Here's what love is not. It is not envious of someone else and their station and circumstance. It's not boastful that I'm better. It's not proud that I'm smarter. It's not dishonorable. You are honorable as a person. I will not dishonor you. It is not self-seeking. It is not angry. It is not vengeful. It is not evil. We have a definition of what love is. We say love is this and love is not that. Whose love trumps what is right and true? This is love, what the Bible says. And so I have a choice. I will love like this, or I will hold on to my version of love, my thoughts of love. Love is not this, it's this. And when I get stuck holding on to my version, I think I'm loving, but this is the standard. This is what is true and right. God says, this is love, and this is impossible. I mean, right? You could look at this list and go, how how could I do that? I mean, Joe, do you know the people in my small group? I mean, they're, they're awkward, right? There's people in my family, like, there is no way I can love like this. I mean, there's people in my small group that don't agree with what I think about COVID and masks and vaccinations. What do I do? Well, I could choose my version of love, or I could choose God's version of love. Oh, Joe, in my family, there's people that have different views about politics and economics and about social issues. What do I do? Do I pick my version of love or God's version of love? What makes it awkward or uncomfortable is when I choose my version and not God's version. God says, this is love. And he doesn't say, hey, as long as it's comfortable for you, Right? As long as it's comfortable, then you love this way. There's no switch or flip or like, oh, under these circumstances, here's when you love, and in these circumstances, when someone doesn't like you or it's uncomfortable, oh man, oh man, the person at the office that's got the worst B.O. ever. Right, like B.O. doesn't count. Halitosis, bad breath, that doesn't count. Awkward mental challenges, emotional challenges, those don't count. I'm not supposed to love those people. Really? Is there a circumstance or situation where I'm not to love? The answer is no. With no excuses and no caveats, I am called to love. Not my definition, God's definition. Isn't that hard? It's really hard. And I think a lot of us can look at it and go, you know, if you've been a follower of Christ, you can go, you know what? I, I understand. I know, Joe, but it's really hard, and we go, it's really hard, and then we give ourselves an excuse. Because it's really hard, we go, well, I can't. And then we see someone who's difficult, an awkward cousin, an awkward family member, an awkward coworker, an awkward person in our small group, we just go, I, I, I can't do it, so I'll just ignore them. And you know what ignoring someone does? It leads to, I'll just pretend like they don't exist. And when you pretend like someone don't, doesn't exist, it's so easy to hate them because they're not even a real person. And when you hate them, it's really easy to spew venom against them, to slander them and gossip, and to treat them as if they're worse than anything in the world. Because you just gave yourself an out because this is really hard, I can't do it. So I won't do it. Now I ignore, now I hate, now I slander. And we look like the body of Christ? this is hard, right? So, so what do we do? Uh, okay, if this is what love is, and on the backside is what love is not, maybe. What do we do? And maybe one of the things that could help is like, why? Why should we love like this? So let me give you a couple reasons why we should love, couple three reasons why we sh- love this way, when it's awkward or uncomfortable. We love because God first loved us. I know that's so simple and so basic, but it's so Important. you want to know a homework assignment for this week? Open your Bible to 1 John 4, 7 through 12 and verse 19. Look at what Jesus' best friend said about love and see this importance and what it looks like. John says, dear friends, let us love one another for love comes from God. Everyone who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Verse 19, we love because God first loved us. You know, when Jesus was doing some people watching in the city of Emmaus this week, and he looked into my house and into my heart, guess what he saw? His awkward cousin. I am the God of the universe's awkward cousin, and so are you. We're so broken. We're so messed up. We fall so short. And when Jesus scans the universe and looks at you and me, what does he see? Someone like him? Someone comfortable and easy to love? I don't think so. And he sees me in my brokenness. He sees me in my fear. He sees me in my addictions. He sees me in the worst of the worst. And he says, I love you so much that I'm coming to planet Earth to die for you. So now you're no longer my awkward cousin. I call you friend. I call you son. I call you daughter. Jesus loved me in my most awkward. And now I am called to love others in their most awkward. And the way the Bible says people will know God is alive and real in this world is by how you and me the sons and daughter of God love it's not going to be more intellectualism and more books and more theology and better preaching and better politics and more laws and more judges that's not what's going to show them that there's a real god what's going to show them there's a real god is love like this that's what's going to show them There's someone real who loves them. We love because God first loved us. We also love because every person has a soul that will never die. Man, do I need to think about this. See, when I see a person, I see their hair. I see their skin color. I see their sexuality. I see their gender. I see their political affiliation. I see all this outward stuff and I make a split-second decision about how I'm going to treat you based on what I see on the outside. Christian and non-Christian alike, we have categories for people, don't we? We look across a group of people and go, that person is like me, and that person is not like me. And if they're like me, I will love them, but if they're not like me, I won't love them. Is that God's standard? No. No. You see, we categorize people, do you see an awkward cousin or do you see a soul that will never, ever die? Not just a soul, but this individual has been created in the image of God, indelibly imprinted into every person is the image of Almighty God. So when I ignore or hate or disregard or mistreat or slander or gossip, in a way, I am slandering the image of God, God himself. And there's not an amount of brokenness, a amount of discomfort or awkwardness that erases the image of God from a person. It's why Jesus, when he walked on planet earth, he didn't care if you were Jew or Gentile, he didn't care if you were a prostitute or you were put together, if you are a politician or a religious Pharisee. He didn't care if you were rich or poor. He saw the image of God on people, and he saw through the out to the in the soul that will never die. The reason we love people is because they're created in the image of God, and they have a soul that will never die, and that soul will live apart from God or with God forevermore. Does that matter to you? But awkward goes, I don't really want to love. Discomfort, ah, it's too hard. I don't really like it. Or is a soul worth loving? An awkward soul, an uncomfortable conversation, a difficult person. Remember, John tells us that the way people will see God is alive is when we love them through the awkward. Last thing, we love because love promotes health and fosters change. Have you ever been to a doctor who has a terrible bedside manner? I mean, do you want to go back there and get on the scale in front of a doctor that has a bad bedside manner? Do you want to talk to a doctor who's unkind, unloving, unforgiving, unprofessional about your struggles? No, you don't talk to doctors that are mean or unkind about what's going on, because here's the deal. Every one of us is sick with a terminal disease. And all of us are sick and broken. And the outside comes out, and we present what we want to present to people. But at the end of the day, we're all sick and broken. Do you know uh, there's some awkward people in your office or in your family that nobody's ever told them that they were awkward? Do you know how many people struggle with difficulties because nobody's ever said, hey, you know… When you're on a conference call, maybe you should tone it down a little bit, bub. Like, right, like nobody ever said, hey, you know what? Your deodorant's not working. I know this is super really low level, but here's the deal. I have talked to countless people and had direct loving conversations with them, and they're like, nobody ever told me. Whose responsibility is that? Love. Love. promotes a healthy environment for people to change, for people to grow, You know who some of the most awkward people on the planet are? Toddlers and teenagers, right? And all of us were toddlers and teenagers. And some of you are still toddlers and teenagers. Some of you act like toddlers and teenagers, and you're like 60, right? But those are some awkward years. Toddler and teenager, they're awkward years. And what do you do? How how does a toddler and a teenager grow up? They grow up in an environment where they're loved where the people around them, the church around them says, we get it. We know these are hard years. It's puberty, right? It's a form of hell. It's, it's hard to grow up and and grow and become an adult. These are difficult things, but we get it. We understand. We love you even though it's awkward even though you're rubbing the food in your face, toddler, you're learning to use a spoon. We love you. We're going to clean you up. We're going to help you. How does a toddler or a teenager grow? But in a loving environment, someone in your small group thinks totally different from you regarding social issues. How will you or they ever change unless you actually have a loving relationship where you talk and you try to understand each other? The person in your office The person in your family that has a completely different opinion about vaccination and masks, do you just disregard them and say, who cares what they think? They're just one of them, those? Or do you seek a loving relationship where you get to understand and you look at someone who's smart and go, hey, can you help me understand why you think that way? If that happens in love, it has the potential of changing people, loving environments over time where there's both grace and truth. But if you're awake at all, you're looking at this, and you're thinking about your awkward situations, your uncomfortable situations, and you're going, I can't do this. There's no way I can not be self-seeking, or I'm not sure how I could possibly be truthful with someone who thinks that way about COVID. This is impossible. And you go, I don't understand. Like, Joe, if you knew the awkward cousins in my life, the awkward people in my work, the awkward people in my family, you'd be like, there's no way. And, and all I can tell you is, is this is God's standard of love. Whenever God gives us a standard, he will empower us to do what he says to do. He doesn't just give us this standard. He says, this is love, and I will help you if you will ask me. But we've been using our standards, the backside of the board, and we haven't been asking him for help. And then we wonder why it's awkward and there's tension and disunity in the church of Jesus Christ. Instead of we go back to the standard and we ask the spirit of God, please help me to not be boastful, to push down someone who thinks differently me so that I can have an inflated ego and go up. See, that's what happens when we push people down. It makes us feel better about ourselves. It inflates our ego as we drive them down. That is not love. But we ask God for help in these things, and he gives us help. It's incredible. But I also think there's times that all of us have awkward situations and people in our lives where we go, you know, it's awkward because they're choosing a lifestyle of sin and I can't promote that, I can't accept that, and I won't get behind that. And so this love stuff, I'm not gonna do it because if I do that, they'll think I approve of their behavior or the mistakes that they make. They need to sleep in the bed that they make. But let me tell you something. If this is love, none of this empowers sinful behavior, right, because Jesus is God and God is love. So Jesus was patient, he was kind, Jesus is protective and trustworthy. Jesus is hopeful and long-suffering and enduring. Jesus is not envious. He's not boastful. He's not proud. He didn't dishonor anyone. He was not self-seeking. He was not angry, vengeful, or evil in any way. And none of that gave permission for sin. None of that said it was okay by doing that. It's okay for you to live and do whatever you want. That's not true. Jesus is love. And all the ways he loved, we can love with his spirit's help. And it's the environment where people change. This is hard. So what do I do? I think about the awkward people in my life. Like sometimes I go, "Um, should I do that? Is it really good to think about the awkward people? Like, yeah, it is good. Because if I don't name the fact that this is a hard, uncomfortable relationship, I can't work on it. But if I can say, hey, that's an awkward cousin. That's an awkward situation. When I name that, then I can say, God, would you help me? And maybe you just take one of these words and say, God, I need to be patient. Help me to be patient. And then as you go through the day, I don't know, I just text message God. I just say these little prayers to God like, God, right now it's hard for me not to be vengeful because this person has hurt me so many times. I want them to whatever I might say. Uh, But I say, God, would you help me? right? Because there's people in my life, some of you are in this room, I don't like you or I don't love you, right? Some of you are watching online. I might not like you and love you, but God calls me to love you. So I just send these text message prayers up to God and say, God, would you help me to love this person? It's impossible. I have to go into this meeting. I have to have this conversation. I don't want to walk around that person another time at Costco. Would you help me to love them? Oh, you know exactly what I'm talking about, right? Your hat's down and you're like, I can't talk to them. God, would you help me to love this person? And you just watch as the God of the universe helps you. Watch as he helps you to love people in a supernatural way. And this is the place where change happens in me and in other people. You know, what does the world need now? More than anything, what the world needs now, come on, is love. If you don't know that song, I'm really old, you're really young. Right? You're like, what the world needs now is for you to stop singing. <laughs> no, honestly, what could change things in our world today? If we took God's standard of love and we asked Him to help us. And I know this is difficult, so come for next week's edition of Awkward Cousins because we have a lot more to keep talking about. There's a lot more to this, but this week, lean into the uncomfortable. Ask the God of the universe to help you to love in ways that are beyond you, and he'll show up and he'll do it, and the world will see that he's alive through that. Little commercial, right? So come back next week for more Awkward Cousin, but little commercial. I used to think, in a simplistic way, that what our world needs is Jesus and love. If we had Jesus and love, everything would be great. And that's true, but I added another word. I think the world needs Jesus and love and leadership. Because there's so many people in every sphere of our world that are just wandering. Jesus kind of looked over the world and said, It looks like there's sheep without shepherds. And he had pity on them. And so I think the world needs leadership too. And so I'm hosting a class on leadership. I'd love to invite you to attend. It's called Lead Like Jesus. I just have a passion for whatever sphere of influence you're in, whether you're a leader or not a leader, in government, in the marketplace, in schools, in the church. If we could learn to lead like Jesus. Jesus loved people no matter what their politics, what their race, what their religion, and he changed the world through love. And so, I'd love for you to join me. It's going to be a little bit of lecture, a little bit of homework, a little bit of reading, lots of interaction with other leaders from different vantage points. Love for you to join me on uh, October, November to lead like Jesus. Uh, limited seats. So, if you're interested, you should get online and sign up quick. And I think we can make a difference in our world because if we have Jesus, who is the hope of everything, he is the truth, he is the way, he's the life. And if we have love as his sons and daughters, We're able to love like he loves. And leadership, man, it doesn't matter how awkward things get, we can make a difference. So would you pray with me? Thanks, Father, for loving us in our most awkward moments. If we were to watch a video of all our awkward, from toddler to teenager to adult, if we were to watch a video of all our evil, who could stand? but you loved us so much that you made a way for us. You loved us through our awkward and that changed us. So would you help every person in the sound of my voice today to know that they are loved by you? And if someone doesn't know they're loved, I pray that they would call out to you. They put their trust in you. They would ask questions about you. They would bring doubts to you and you would show them that you love them, even today, even right now. God, the awkward cousins in our lives, we're called to love, no excuse, no exception. We love because we're first loved by you, so help us to talk to you this week, help us to embrace your definition of love, and empower us to be your heart, your hands, your mouthpiece, I ask this through Christ our Lord. Amen.